Amen, amen. Well, hey, <clears throat> good morning. Welcome to Grace City. If I hadn't had a chance to meet yet, my name is David. I'm a teaching pastor. Thank you so much for being here, being a part of our community. And if you know the score of the World Cup game, be a good neighbor and do not tell anyone. So, uh, so recording that and uh, hoping Croatia wins. And if you don't care about the World Cup, you should. Uh, every four years it comes on and we should cheer for it. So, uh, hey, look, uh, let me ask you a question. When you hear the word deacon, what's the image that comes to mind? When you hear the word deacon or deacon ministry, what is it that you think of? For me, whenever I hear the word deacon, I typically think of the smoking tree outside the church that I grew up in. Uh, the, the church where, where I grew up, there was this tree where back in the 50s and 60s, all the deacons would smoke underneath that tree in between the services. And uh, like by the time I was a kid in the 80s, uh, the practice still wasn't happening, but the name had stuck. And so the imagination of my, my mind just kind of filled in all the gaps to where whenever I hear deacon, I just picture deacons sitting underneath the tree, smoking in between services. And like, that's the image that I have. And, and or there's another one that goes with it, uh, because in the church, there's also this chapel parlor room that was just kind of this uh, old looking, like uh, just a cigar room. I'm sorry, it's both smoking references, but like, it looks like a cigar room. So whenever I think deacon ministry, I think that's where they meet and they carry on their meetings with their agendas in the, in the, in the cigar room. And I, I hate that those are the two images that come to mind, because in reality, they're probably very far from the truth. Uh, well, maybe in the 50s and 60s that actually happened, but like I never saw a deacon smoking under the tree. To my knowledge, there was never a cigar room at our church. Like the deacons didn't meet there, but it's just something that I projected onto them or onto that ministry or onto that concept, if you will. And I, I think um, sometimes that, that, that image or the kind of negative image is, is reinforced every now and then when you hear uh, maybe some broken expressions of the deacon ministry, because every now and then, and maybe this is, is some of your experience here, you've seen it happen where you hear stories about deacons that they just get together and they complain and they gripe, or they try to work behind the scenes to oust a pastor, or work behind, or maybe it's not even behind the scenes. Maybe it's at the forefront where they're trying to maybe bring about some division or, or split the church, and it's a group that's trying to pursue their own selfish ends. And so sometimes when you hear the word deacon, maybe that's the picture that you have, and, and, and that's the, the image that comes to mind and in some ways those <laughs> the smoking tree and the cigar room and then that negative stereotype all those kind of swirl together for me so when I hear the word deacon or deacon ministry often uh, that's the image that comes to mind when I think of the collective but when I stop and I take just a minute and I'll, I'll pause just a second when I hear the word deacon and I think about the individuals that I know who are deacons and that's a completely different picture because now I'm thinking about like my Sunday school teachers that I, I remember growing up and, and, and seeing uh, people that, 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 that taught Sunday school. And so they were teaching scripture to a four-year-old or a 14-year-old and weekly showing up and daily uh, serving the church in that way, uh, teaching the, the eternal truths of God and then actually modeling, showing what it looks like to hear those teachings, to put them into practice. And so that's more when I think about deacon, I start thinking about different individuals that I know and, and, and how they serve the church in that capacity. Or I think about my dad. And, and, and some of his friends who were business leaders and in the private sector, but they, they felt a deep responsibility for and, and, and to help care for and steward and help uh, serve the ministries of the local church. In fact, when I grew up, uh, or, or growing up, I don't, when I grew up, I'm still working on it. Uh, as, as I was growing up in a home, like I barely remember my dad ever bringing stress of the job home. I'm sure he did. I just don't remember a lot of those conversations, but I do remember uh, mom and dad having conversations till late at night where dad was just kind of expressing um, his concern and really shouldering his portion of the weight of ministries of, of the church while I grew up. Like I just remember watching that and seeing that happen in our household. And so when I think about individuals who are deacons, I, I think about those uh, 
that expression. I think about the individual and how they're able to, to show to me what it looks like to love Christ, to love the church of Christ, and, and to express that in their love and service of others. Still for you, maybe when you think of the individual deacon, maybe it, it, it kind of reinforces the negative stereotype because you might be thinking, hey, I know that person. I can't believe they let them uh, be a deacon or let that person serve that way. And I hope that's not the case, but that might be what comes to mind for you. But for me, it, it definitely breaks the other way uh, because, I, I, again, I'm thinking about more of my dad and, and other people. And I see just how much that was a picture of loving Christ, loving his church, and expressing that love through service of others. So if you haven't connected the dots, today we're going to be looking at this office, this role, at this ministry of what a deacon is in a church. Now, again, similar to last week when we looked at elders, I know nobody got up this morning and thought, if I could just hear a message on deacons, I'd be so encouraged in my life. Like, I know you didn't get up this morning thinking, yes, deacons, I hope he preaches on this. Like, I, I just, I know that. I know that's a reality. And so, uh, but, but I do have some hopes and prayers for us this morning. Um, one, uh, this, and it's kind of self-serving this way, and that we believe this is a new ministry, this, or this is. We believe that the time is, is, is now for us to begin this ministry at Grace City, that we'd be launching a, a deacon ministry here at Grace City. And so we're aware of the fact, too, that when we say deacon, we have all these different images of what that looks like. So one hope and prayer for this morning is that it would help us all get on the same page. To where when we say deacon at Grace City, this is what we picture, this is what we see, this is what we mean when we use the term deacon or deacon ministry at Grace City. So this is going to help kind of be uh, one of those types of Sundays at Grace City where we're kind of bringing all the community of faith together to help us understand this is what we mean by the expression of it. So if you're new and this is your first time coming to Grace City, it's a little bit of a different Sunday in, in that we're, we're going into such a... a technical issues such as deacon ministry, but I think it's a great day for you to be here because you can get a, a peek under the hood and see kind of the nuts and bolts of how our church is put together and kind of our, our heartbeat behind what we do and why we do. So hopefully it's a, it's a good insight for you there. So one hope and prayer is that we would all get on the same page, have the same image of what it means to be a deacon. Second, that maybe this might be, uh, hopefully maybe a bit of corrective because it just regrettably I know that perhaps there have been some negative experiences to, to where maybe uh, you have seen broken expressions of this where it's a small group of individuals that are trying to treat it as, as something to grasp power rather than to serve the church and so i hope this will help us all come back to god's intentions uh for this role and for this service in the church because ultimately i, I believe a, a deacon ministry when it's thriving when it's functioning as it should it's one way to where we can see how the deacons ministry they serve the kingdom of god through their service in the church and so through their ministry, not only do they strengthen the ministry of the church, but I think it can help you, I think it can help me grow in our love for the Lord, as well as grow in, uh, in our love for others by, by love and service and expressing our love for God through our service of others. A deacon can show and give that example of what that looks like. And so that's what we're going to be driving into. That's what we're going to be uh, driving, diving, take your pick, use whichever word you want. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Go to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6 is going to be our primary text this morning. Um, but as you're making your way there, let me set the scene and, and, and kind of tell the story leading up into it. Uh, because I would kind of argue that the, the uh, start of Acts 6 begins in Acts chapter 2. Because in Acts chapter 2, the Apostle Peter, pre uh, the Apostle Peter preaches a gospel message on the day of Pentecost, what's known as the day of Pentecost. And when he preaches this gospel message, over 3,000 people are added to the church in Jerusalem. 
Now, I, I say that to help us kind of understand logistically that what's just happened there. Because when we talk about the early church, I think a lot of times people have this image of the early church as being like 10, 15, 20 people in the upper room or, or secluded off somewhere. And to be sure, there are lots of churches that, were, uh, that, that looked like that and that mirrored that. But the church in Jerusalem, Peter preaches this message, 3,000 people added to their number. So overnight, they're a mega church. Right? They have that many people coming and being a part of the church. But at the same time, the church was, was so healthy and so vibrant that it was able to uh, just do so many things very, very well. Throughout, if you continue to read Acts 2, towards the end of it, it talks about how um, it had this really healthy practice of evangelism because the gospel's being preached and new people are continuing to be added. But there was also discipleship. They were growing in their knowledge of the Lord. They were growing in their understanding of the teachings of Christ and what it looked like to live that faith out. So there was healthy evangelism. There was healthy discipleship. But there was also a strong expression of care for one another. If they knew some of their brothers and sisters of Christ were in need, uh, they, they, they sold their possessions. They went to provide for them. They went to try to help and to ensure that, that needs were being met, that people were being cared for. And so you saw evangelism. You saw discipleship. And you saw this just robust uh, care and service for the family of God. And, and really, uh, so much, it, it's such a strong uh, description of the church that it's often the, the chapter of scripture that's referenced when you talk about kind of the ideal church, or if you want to see a church that's healthy and vibrant, Acts 2 is, is definitely a place where, where people go to see that description, because there's so much good happening in Acts 2. And that good continues. So where in Acts chapter 6, we see good is still happening and growth is continuing to happen, but it's happening at such a rapid pace that it, the church does begin to experience some growing pains, some challenges that come with it. And this is where we drop in the text. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. We'll stop here because that gives us kind of the tension. That lets us know what the problem is. Uh, the, some of the first people to respond to the gospel was a group known as the Hebraic Jews. These were uh, people that were brought up in the Jewish faith that lived primarily around Jerusalem and, and the Galilee region. And their forefathers were able to um, reject or at least minimize a lot of the cultural influence from the Greek and Roman empires. Uh, they were able to hold fast to their teaching, to their custom, to their worldviews, uh, and, and, and maintain just a, a strong identity of, of, their, um, of, of their Jewishness, of, of, of being part of, of God's chosen people. So that was the Hebraic Jews. They were, but uh, when they encountered the gospel of Christ, they saw Jesus rightly as the fulfillment uh, of so much of God's work in and among their people. So they put their faith in Christ, and, and they were known as kind of the Hebraic Jews. The Hellenistic Jews, those were people also brought up in the Jewish faith, also brought up holding the Old Testament teaching and custom and, and, and the Jewish religion, but yet their forefathers had been scattered across the region because uh, earlier in their history, groups had come in and conquered the area and exiled many of, of the Jews. So the Hebraic Jews were the ones that were able to stay. The Hellenistic Jews were the ones that got exiled during those periods of conquest. When they were exiled, many of those, of those Jewish people were... Uh, I don't want to say more or more open to, but just as they were exiled, uh, the influence of these other cultures weighed heavily on them. So they, the, the, these other kingdoms, whether it be Greek or Roman empires, began to impact their worldview, their culture, and their custom. But yet then they also hear the gospel. They respond to the gospel, and they see their hope and their faith and their trust in Jesus. And now they become part of the church. 
So what you see then in this early church is not only do they have the challenge of just assimilating new people into the church, but they're also assimilating new people that are coming from different backgrounds, different cultures, different worldviews, all coming into the church at one point and at one time. And so the church has this challenge then of fighting back against the temptation to only look out for or care or serve those that look like them, think like them, act like them, uh, which apparently uh, they started to give into that temptation. There was starting to be a little bit of a split, a little bit of a division between the Hebraic Jews and Hellenistic Jews. But what it gives, it gives the church a time to put on display what binds the family of God together. And it's, it, what binds the, the family of God together is not a common demographic, it, it's, it's not a, a common um, ethnicity, it's not a common background. No, what binds the family of God together is our common experience in Christ, the hope of his gospel, that we are sinners standing in need of the grace of Christ, and we place our hope and our faith and our trust in him. So this gives a, an opportunity for the church to express the love of the family of God in the way that they love, the way that they care, the way that they serve one another, so that all can see, hey, it really is one family of God. So how are they going to do this? How are they going to put on display this type of love and care and devotion to each other? We see their response. They're going to appoint deacons to ultimately serve the kingdom of God by the way they serve the church. Look at how they handled it. Verse 2. So the 12, that's the 12 disciples, they gathered all, all, the other, uh, all the disciples together. So that's all the followers of Christ and that are part of the Jerusalem church. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So we, we see kind of the problem and the solution. And the problem was that the 12 were, were, were so focused on preaching and teaching the gospel, they weren't able to ensure that all were being cared for, that, that all of them were, were, ha were having their needs met. But they also recognized, hey, this has to happen in their church. This has, to, this has to take place. We have to show this love and care and concern for the family of God. So what do they do? They go, and they, they go back to the whole church, and the whole church uh, selects these seven individuals and puts them in charge of the ministry. And an interesting fact about this, when you look at the names of these seven men, these names are Greek names. So they actually choose seven Hellenistic Jews to then put in charge with this whole ministry. And it's not just that they're picking seven Hellenistic Jews, they're picking seven Hellenistic Jews that are full of wisdom, full of the Holy Spirit, to lead the church and to express this part of the ministry of the church. These individuals will help ensure that everyone in the church will receive the love and the care and the support that they need, that it rightfully theirs as part of the family of God. Once more, it's also going to enable the twelve to focus in on, on their calling to serve the church through the preaching and teaching of the word of God. So there's a problem, the church rallies around it, they give a solution. The solution is, is to, is to uh, select these seven individuals to serve the church in this way so the disciples can, can keep preaching and teaching the gospel and so that this part of the church's ministry continues to happen. And so there are a, a few points that I want to focus in on this text, uh, really to, um, that I just want to make sure that we're all very aware of. And, and, and the first one is this, that the 12, they're not being disrespectful or demeaning of, of the job when they have this, this statement, it's not right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. 
Like that could almost sound as demeaning or like they're trying to rank themselves up or put themselves higher. I, I, I don't think that's the case at all. They know this is something that needs to be done. They know this is an important, vital ministry of the church, uh, but they also know that they've followed Christ for three years, that they've been called, they've been gifted uh, in, in this reign of, of teaching. And so they're, like, it's, they're running into a bandwidth issue. They can't do both well, and they know that both need to be done well for the health of the church. It, it kind of speaks to being both orthodox, let's be grounded in our teaching, grounded in our doctrine, but let's also be orthopraxis, or let's be, let's be right in our expression, in our practice of the faith, in our practice of these truths. Both of these have to be happening well that, so that we can give a proper declaration of the gospel and a demonstration of the gospel. And we, we can see that weight that they put on this role by, by the fact that they actually make qualifications for who can, can do this, right? Because if it was just distributing food, they could be like, hey, find seven people and give them the food and let them pass out one portion at a time, right? Like, problem solved. But, but no, they're like, hey, that's, that's, that's not the case because that's not just what's happening here. It's not just passing out food. No, this is a ministry of the church. We're expressing the love of God, expressing the love of the family of God in the way that we love, care, and serve one another. And so find individuals who are full of wisdom, full of the Holy Spirit. Now, this church was able to just kind of get those two characteristics and, and run with it. And they're able to find seven men who fit the bill, and, and, they, and they put them into place. And that was enough for the early church, to, or for this church in Jerusalem, to act on to find deacons for their church. Uh, as the church grows and as it spreads throughout the region, uh, one might begin to ask the question, okay, what does it look like for someone to be full of wisdom? What does it look like for someone to be uh, full of the Holy Spirit? And so uh, later on, when the Apostle Paul is teaching or coaching Timothy, really, uh, to, to, in his leadership and pastoring of a church, he goes to tell Timothy to put deacons in, one, in, in uh, his church at, at Ephesus. And it's there where Paul gives a little bit more of a description of some of the characteristics and virtues that need to be uh, present in a deacon, as well as some that need to be absent from a deacon. And so I want us to see that list. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8 through 13. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8 through 13. And it's here where we see these further requirements and also see where this position really is also opened up to both men and women. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8 through 13 says this, In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. So we'll stop there. There, We we see some general requirements for all deacons that's listed in this text, that's listed in this portion. That whether it's male or female deacons, we're going to get in that discussion in just a second, but it's requirements for, for all deacons. And we see this list here, that they're dignified, that they're worthy of respect, that they're sincere and authentic, not indulging in too much wine speaks to being free of addictions, being self-controlled, not greedy, not dishonest. That, that they're, they're people that hold firm to doctrine and faith. You were with us last week when we looked at elders. Like the deacons are also going to help the church hold fast to the gospel of Christ. That our faith and our salvation is in Christ and Christ alone. That no one is too far gone. No one is beyond the reach of his grace, of his hope, and of his redemption. They help us hold to doctrine and faith. But it's also one whose character and whose ministry has been tested. Like, it's not someone who's like, hey, you know, they, they say they're a Christian, they've been going for like a day or two, sure, let's put them in office. No, it's, it's, no, it's someone that has shown over the test of time that, that these qualities are, are 
a part of their soul that they had been put through the, you know, tested in the fire almost, so to speak, to, to show that this, these characteristics really is a part of who they are, deeply entrenched in their heart and in their soul, that they be tested. So we see these qualifications for, for all deacons. But then there's, there's a progression. Look at verse 11. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. Now, I don't know about you, but in, in, my, in my Bible, there's a footnote next to women. And, uh, and, and, the, and, the, and uh, what the footnote it says, possibly deacons' wives or women who are deacons. And uh, some of your translations might even say in the same way the deaconesses. <laughs> deaconess is the word. I don't know how to make that plural, if you just add another one on the end of it or, or what. Um, but, and so some of your translations might, might have those words. And so typically, uh, or there's, I'll say typically, there's been a lot of discussion around this translation of, of this word and kind of how it fits in the passage. And there's kind of three ways that people take a run at it. Um, that it's either women who are helping male deacons, that it is deacons' wives, or that it is female deacons. And, and at Grace City, we believe that really all three are present in this text because we believe that there are times where there will be female deacons who are helping male deacons, just as much as there will be times where there are male deacons helping female deacons as they express their ministry. So that's kind of one, that it's women helping male deacons. Two, uh, that it's deacons' wives. We do believe there are some times where there are husbands and wives who are serving the church together, and perhaps both of them might be deacons. And so that it would apply there as well. And then lastly, we do believe that this points towards uh, the office of deacon being held by both men and women. So there would be female deacons. And when you can kind of see all that in the text, the whole section unfolds nicely because there's qualifications for all deacons and now here in the same way there's qualifications and requirements given specifically towards women and then we'll see in verse 12 qualifications and requirements given specifically towards men tracking with me on that we got in the weeds there and went through it a little bit and i, I know that that might be different from some of the tradition that you brought in that might be be, be new hearing it but when you when you kind of see there's a good progression in the text this is qualifications for all in the same way the women who are serving as deacon the female deacons they're to be what worthy of respect not malicious talkers but temperate and trustworthy in everything and so we see the requirements given there right again worthy of respect um, that there might not be slanders or gossips, that they're tempered, grounded, maybe uh, sober-minded might be a good description of that. We, we talked about this a little bit last week with the elders, that whenever you're leading an organization, serving an organization, there are times where there's just an emotional fog, there's emotional chaos. Let's, let's, there, there should be women that can just be a stable, calm presence in this to help us cut through that fog, to just see what, what, needs, to, what needs to happen. And so uh, be uh, sober, uh, be temperate, and trustworthy in everything, that they would be faithful and trustworthy in the office. And, and then it continues, the deacon must be faithful to his wife, manage his children, and his household well. So Paul gives requirements and characterizations for specifically for male deacons, and it really kind of centers in on, on two areas of temptation for men, uh, sexual sins and laziness in the home. And so Paul says, husband of one wife, so it's someone that's expressing fidelity to their spouse, manages their household well, that hey, make sure this guy is leading and serving in the home. Because if he's not leading and serving in the home, he most likely is not going to be leading and serving in the church as well. And so again, quite an extensive list. There's qualifications for all deacons, specific for women, specific for men. And, and you kind of see all of this as a description of, of those that are full of wisdom, full of the Holy Spirit, and it's displayed in their character and in their actions and the way that they serve one another. And so uh, so that's a list that, that Timothy takes, and then he enacts at his church there in Ephesus, and we see uh, that this kind of continues to build on the deacon ministry for the early church. And it has an impact. 
deacons, the, the deacon ministry has an impact on the health and vibrancy of a church. Back in Acts 6, you can see the quick payoff. In Acts chapter 6, verse 7, it says, now, uh, it says, so the word of God spread. The number of the disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So they, they, they name the, the seven individuals, and, and they begin serving. And you see the, the repercussions of that. The word of God spread. More and more people were added to the faith. More and more people heard about the hope and the life and the joy that is found in Christ. Their sins were forgiven. Their lives were made new. And they discovered life in Christ. And so what happens is you, you see a pr healthy practice of the faith and a healthy declaration of the faith. Because the deacons are able to serve the church tangibly, and, and, and the elders, the, the, the twelve, are able to continue to preach and proclaim the teachings of the word of God. And all of them working together help to ensure proper declaration and demonstration of the gospel. And it happened so well, the church continued to grow and grow and grow. New people discovered life, hope, joy in Christ. That's the goal, isn't it? Like, that's what we want to see happen here at Grace City. When people walk in those doors in the back, we want people, everybody, to, to discover life and joy and hope in Christ. We want new disciples of Christ. We want people to grow as disciples in Christ. So there's evangelism and there's discipleship and there's care that's happening in the church. And we want that. We want that to happen for us throughout the, the future of our church. And let me say this. It might be a little bit hard to see it in the summer months, but the past 12 months has been a season of growth for us at Grace City. I've been so very grateful for that, grateful for that to be able to, to see it numerically, spiritually, and, and all sorts of different ways to, to measure. It's been a season of growth for us. And, and we want to always ensure that as we grow, we're continuing to be able to care for, uh, care for the family of God in a genuine, loving, authentic way. And so it's to that end where the elders feel like now is the time for us to begin this deacon ministry at Grace City. Because we want to, again, make sure that everyone's being provided for, cared for, serviced, uh, and, and serving one another in a healthy way. So that we can give proper leadership to the different ministries in our church. And so we're going to be looking to deacons to help in this capacity. Now this is going to get in the weeds just a second, but I want to, again, helping us have the, the same image when we say deacon at Grace City. Um, so we're, we're going to start small with this. This isn't like we're going to have like 50 deacons overnight at Grace City, all right? So there's going to be a very, very small start to this, two, three, four, five, uh, maybe just, just, just to get it going to help us um, make sure that we practice this well, that we're very intentional with how we roll this out. Uh, and how we're going to do it is we're going to look for different choke points in our organization where maybe there's some problem areas in the church that could be served by having point leadership, by deacons serving in those areas. And so that right there might be a, a point of d distinction as well, because some of you might be like, okay, there's a deacon over all the church, and that's not necessarily what we're talking about. We're looking for a deacon that might help in this one specific area or might give leadership to this one part of the ministry of the church. At the same time at Grace City, our deacons will serve two years and have a, a mandatory year break or sabbatical break. And then if they want to serve again after that, um, uh, if, if the need's still there, uh, they can uh, go back through kind of the interview and screening process to make sure nothing in their life has changed or they're not kind of uh, running afoul of the characteristics. And if, they, if they're there and kind of still fit uh, the qualifications of, of Scripture, then they would be put back in and, and serving again. Uh, as, as a deacon. The reason we like the two-in-one is because uh, we don't want to burn people out. Uh, sometimes you, you can see people that have like served as a deacon or an elder for like 20 years at his church and you can almost see there, there's just uh, something happens. People try to do the work of God in such a way to where it kills the work of God inside of them. And, and so it's just good to help, uh, 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 good to help uh, that rhythm of, of break and rest 
uh, happen, and, and, and so we've kind of built that into our structure there. And so uh, then the last question, or another question we might get as well, how will deacons relate to elders and, and staff? Uh, the deacons will serve under the leadership and direction of the elder team, just like our staff is doing now. Uh, but we hope that there's uh, so much alignment across mission and vision and methodology that it's really all are working together to enact uh, the ministries of the church. And that happens right now between our staff and our elder team. And, and we believe starting small with the deacons, we'll be able to bring them in and just kind of fit in the organizational culture of our church where we're st still pursuing one mission, one vision, one strategy for the church. So uh, that's helping us kind of begin to see, have the same image of what, or picture of what a deacon's ministry looks like at Grace City. But again, I know you got up this morning and you were like, I mean, if, uh, if I got a, a sermon on deacons, I'd be like level 10 in my faith this morning. So like, what do I do with this, right? How do I respond? What, what's something that I can walk out these doors with? Or, or what, are, what are you asking me to do uh, as a church? And so I'll give two things. One, um, what can you take away with this text? You know, I, I think like 1 Timothy 3 and then just the characteristics of being full of wisdom, full of the Holy Spirit, you can let, let the text be kind of a mirror that you can look into and say, okay, are these characteristics evident in my life? Um, could this be descriptive of me? Regardless of whether or not I ever, you know, want to be or, or might be called to be deacon, but uh, is it descriptive of me that, you know, that I'm, I'm, I'm temperate, that I'm sober-minded, that, you know, that I'm, uh, you know, holding fast to faith and doctrine, uh, that I manage my household well? And so you can let this text uh, be a mirror to where you can ask yourself some of those hard questions. And so it's, if, if there's stuff in there that doesn't need to be there, you can use it to help confess, repent, and maybe there's some, some practices that you need to begin to cultivate to develop, okay, God, help me grow in these areas so that I can continue to be refined into your image. So I would say you can let some of these texts serve as a mirror uh, to help you maybe see and grow in those areas where, where God has shown you, hey, this is a place where you need attention. What are we asking you to do uh, in response to this as a church? Uh, is, is this, if you see some areas or needs that need this type of point leadership, make them known. Let, it, let, let us know about it. From time to time, I'll be in conversations with folks and say, hey, David, I had this idea for our church, but I know there's so much happening with the staff. I know there's so much on the plate of the elders that I didn't bring it up. Okay, come with it. Let us know about it. Let, let us hear it because, uh, because we want to have that idea or maybe see that issue because what it does is, especially if we hear about it from multiple people, it can let us know, hey, this is a blind spot. We're, we're, we're not healthy here where we thought we were. Or, you know what, this is an opportunity that we need to seize. We need to engage this, and if, if, we, if, we, if we seize this opportunity, it's really going to help us um, demonstrate the love of Christ either in our church or, or, or through our church in the community. And so come with that idea. Don't hold back. And so maybe it's, hey, David, um, there, there's some growth in our family ministry, so maybe a, a deacon coming alongside Matt and Stevie would, would help that family ministry continue to grow. Or, or maybe we're seeing some more guests come in, and so maybe if there's someone giving point leadership over our guest services, we'd make sure that Sunday after Sunday there's like a robust practice of hospitality and so whatever it is you know let, let us know about it and we'll hear from those and again we're not going to be able to act on every single one of them um, but we'll, we'll look and we'll prayerfully try to discern which one needs immediate attention and then we'll start that process of looking for men and women uh, that, that that fit the scripture characteristics and then help us maybe pre, uh, launch the deacon ministry give point leadership to these areas so that's a way uh, that all of us can work together to launch this deacon ministry as church. It's a way that all of us can work together uh, to strengthen the ministry of the church, which again, in turn, will help us as a community of faith put on display the hope of the kingdom, the city of Jackson. Because you see, it was in the hours before his crucifixion 
where Jesus is, is hours before the cross, you know, at the cross where Jesus is going to serve us all by taking our sins on himself and making a way for his righteousness to be given in return. It's in the hours leading up to that where he pulls the disciples in the upper room and he gives them an example. He washes their feet. He washes their feet, and as he washes their feet, it's an act of love, it's an act of service, it's an act of devotion, it's an act of dedication to the other disciples. But it is. It is an example that he gives. He calls the disciples to follow his example. He calls the disciples, both the immediate 12 and all disciples, all the followers of Christ that would come after them, to follow Christ's example, to emulate it, to find acts of service to do for one another. Because as they do this, as we do this, again, it helps us show the love of the family of God. And it was just a few hours after washing their feet, he's in the garden of Gethsemane with them. Jesus tells his disciples, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Maybe a one-sentence definition of a deacon at Grace City, it's one who helps us love one another. A deacon serves the church by helping us love one another well, tangibly, practically expressing the love of the family of God in their service of, of, of one another. I pray that's the image that comes to mind when we think of a deacon at Grace City. It's not a small group on a power trip. It's not a group who complain and gripe. It's not a group that brings division and brokenness, but it's a group of men and women whose lives have been transformed by the gospel of Christ, and they are eager to share that love with others through acts of service and acts of care. It's those that are eager to grab the bowl, fill it with water, and wash the feet. It's those who are eager to make sure all are fed and taken care of. It's those who take the initiative to ensure that everyone who comes are experiencing the love of Christ and then are the hope and the joy of being part of the family of God. That's my hope. That's my prayer for the deacon ministry, that as a community of faith, that we would enact, that we would uh, put into practice here at the church. And I pray uh, that's the image of the deacon ministry that we have and that we project and that we make known far and wide because that this would be known as a place coming and experiencing both the love of Christ and the love of the family of God. Let me pray for us. God, we love you. We thank you for your hope. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace in our life. And God, I pray uh, that we would uh, have uh, your word as uh, a, a mirror to our own life and soul. And so God, if there are places in our life that we need to confess, that we need to repent, help us to do that. Or, or not if, but God, help us to see those areas that we need to confess, that we need to turn from, that we need to repent. God, help us to rest in your grace and in your mercy and in your forgiveness uh, of those areas of brokenness. And God, help us to cultivate uh, disciplines and that, that lead to some of these characteristics in our lives so that God, we're serving you well. And so that we're helping to put on display uh, the love and the hope that you have for us and, and for your family. So God, we thank you for this word and we pray for the deacon ministry as it starts at Grace City. That we would express it in a way uh, that is full of grace, that is full of mercy, um, that is full of love. So that by this, all men would know that we, are your, that we are yours by the way that we love one another. God, we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.